0: Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. In the meantime, I'm going to continue our series called Counterculture. Everyone say counterculture. Counter culture. Continuing on from last week and Pastor Dan kicked it off the week before that. So this is week three of counterculture. And the message I started last week, I started with this thought, which is as true today as it was last week. And that is this, that none of us are born with a culture. We are born into a culture. Your thoughts, your feelings, your prejudice, all those things come from the environment that you grew up in and from. You didn't come out of the womb feeling those things. It's an environment that caused you to think, feel and act a certain way. I mentioned that we are part of an English culture. My mum and dad immigrated from the UK. And so there we were growing up in Para Hills, which was effectively known as Pommy Hills, because that's where all the original boat people came and rested. From England, they just settled in Para Hills, And uh, I was one of those um, kids grew in, uh, that grew up in Parahills. And although we we're in Australia, we grew up in a very English culture. And so I like Yorkshire pudding. I like roast beef. I like drinking cups of tea in a cup, not a mug. Just the way I was raised. If I was born in another culture, it would be different. But I am grateful today with Australia being out of the World Cup that I have English culture to draw from. And so all I can say is when it comes to the World Cup, come on England coming home. That's all I'm saying. I predict an England-Brazil grand final of which England win 2-1. I'm just saying, there we go. Okay. So anyway, that's just English culture coming out. But uh, it's true. We were not born with a culture. We were born into a culture and it affects the way we think, feel and act. When we are born again... We were born again into a new culture, a kingdom culture. It's God's way of doing things. Up until that moment, we lived a life doing things the way we wanted to do them. When we gave our lives to Christ, we are part of a new kingdom and a new culture. And it has new rules. It has a new way of doing things. It has a new way of living. And that's where the clash is. The clash and the battle that I face, as do you, when it comes to walking out of Christianity, is that there's this old nature, this old man, this old culture that wants to keep rising its ugly head. How many know what I'm talking about? I wish the old was just put to death and never had to be thought about again. But no, we have to put to death the old way of thinking every day Of our lives. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives every day. That's why, for me, reading the Bible is imperative that we do it every day to make sure that that old way of thinking, that old man, that old culture doesn't rise its ugly head and have its way. That's the battle. So if you're struggling with your Christian walk, welcome to the club. But there is hope, and that's what this series is all about. Are you with me today? And so we've been looking at um, the book of Peter and using Peter as our text to talk about this counterculture. And today I want to talk about a, uh, a countercall in an age of compromise. Wow. A counter call in an age of compromise. I say that because when you read the book of Peter, you'll see the word call, called or calling over and over and over again. Again, It just appears over and over and over again. And the word call or called or calling talks about being set apart. It talks about being separate. It talks about being set apart for a specific role, which is a good thing because it helps explain who we are and explain what we've been called to do. It also encourages us and it empowers us. And I want to highlight three types of calling and major on the last one this morning. And the first calling is simply this. It's an eternal call to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So Peter is talking about an eternal calling to Christ. And it's a, every believer is called to a holy call. Christianity is not just giving your life to Jesus. It's actually living for Him. Right. It's much like when Peter was fishing one day and Jesus called him and said, Peter, I will make you a fisher of man. You're used to fishing for fish, but I'm calling you to fish for men. And from that moment forward, Peter left his boat and he went and followed Jesus. That's the calling of every believer. We have a calling. Then secondly, there's a temporary call to an assignment. The first one is a call for every believer to a holy life. The second one is a temporary assignment, something you're asked to do for a period of time. You may find this funny, but when I was in grade seven, I put my hand up to be a traffic monitor and I got the job and I got the whistle. There are two jobs you could do. You could be the lollipop person who holds a stop sign or you can be the one with the whistle. The one with the whistle had the control. And so I wanted the whistle. So I got I got my job with the whistle. And it was my temporary assignment while I was in year seven to make sure there was no accidents on my watch. Oh, that I made sure all the cars stopped when they were meant to stop and go when they were meant to go. That all the pedestrians would stop. And that's tough when you're in grade seven. Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta say, no, no, stop. And I, and I used to love it. I used to love it. See some kids coming, see some pedestrians coming. And you just... Stop and say, but there's no cars. But I have the whistle. <laughs> so this is, just, this is just awesome. Unfortunately, it was just a temporary assignment just for one year. And I lost my control, lost my power. But it was a temporary assignment. Much like when I was playing soccer and I was a captain, it was a temporary assignment. Much like when Nathaniel was head prefect, Temporary assignment when i was a youth leader temporary assignment i loved those seasons of my life but they weren't a life call they were a temporary yeah. call and all of us are taught, called to a temporary call there's something to ask to do yeah. parenting though it's a life call there are different seasons and some seasons are more hands on than others a temporary call thank god that nappies is just a temporary call i mean imagine that doing nappies for the rest of your life that would be horrible that would be horrible, but it's a temporary thing. Are you with me? Yes. And then, thirdly, there's a daily call to a different standard, and that's what I want to talk about today. And in essence, that's what this whole series is about. It's about our daily call to a different standard. If I say daily, daily call, different standard. Yes. That's what we're called to. Paul, sorry God is calling us to live a daily calling. Of a different standard. And when it comes to our calling, often our third is, our first thought, sorry, is, what am I called to do? And if that's your first thought, what am I called to do? If only I knew my calling, I want to say that's probably where we're going wrong. Because the first thing when it comes to our calling is it's a call to who before a do. When it comes to our calling, it first starts with our call to a who, not a do. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. In other words, preceding, when it comes to Christianity, being precedes doing. Everything about the life of Christ, everything about the teaching of the early apostles was this notion of being doing, And I feel for some of us, our Christianity becomes hard work and laborious because we make it all about doing and we forget about the being. We forgot what it is to be a Christian because we're too busy trying to do Christianity. And when you forget to be a Christian and you try to live as a Christian, it's not only hard work and tiring, it's impossible to live by that holy standard. Are you with me today? Yeah. And unfortunately, we tend to forget who we are. A few years ago at the cricket, I'll never forget this fight broke out, two rows in front of us. And I wish I could tell you that I was the man of God that stood up and separated them and, and taught common sense into the equation. But, but like the early church, and, and like we all do from time to time, I just forgot who I was. And I just got caught up in the moment. And everyone was cheering and shouting and I found myself going, yeah, fight, 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 fight. Hit him. Much to my shame. But there I was, and as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, I just forgot, who am I? I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. (laughs) I'm a dad. I mean, if that was my daughter, if that was my son, I, I wouldn't want that for them. And here I am. It happens. We forget who we are. And a big part of Peter's writing is to remind the early persecuted church who they were. They were persecuted. And when you're persecuted, you can tend to forget who you are. And for the church in Peter's time, they were called superstitious. Why? Because of the miracles that were being performed. And as a result of the miracles that were being performed, Jesus was the head magician. And so they were tainted with this notion that they were superstitious. Not only that, that they were incestuous. The early church were accused of being incestuous. Why? Because they had this thing called love feasts. And at the love feasts, those that were invited were brothers and sisters in Christ. And without understanding what that means, it's easy to get the wrong interpretation of it. And when there's the wrong interpretation and that's being banded around, we can forget who we are. Not only that, that they were labelled as cannibals. Do you know why? Because Jesus taught, that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And so they had to navigate these accusations that they were superstitious, that they were cannibals, that they were incestuous, all of which was not true. But when you're listening to accusations, if we're not careful, we can forget who we are and we can lower our standard. And so what does Peter do? He reminds them first and foremost who they are. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine says, for you are a chosen people. And can I remind you this morning, life, Adelaide, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You can show others the goodness of God. Why? Because He called you out of the kingdom of darkness and into His wonderful light. There's no doing that. It's just reminding the persecuted church who they are. And this morning, I want you to leave this place knowing who you are. It's a who before it's a do. Peter says, You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You are chosen. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are set free. Remember that, church. Don't buy into the lies. And it's on this foundation, he says, as a result of knowing who you are, we are called to live life by a higher standard. In Peter's day, they were called superstitious, superstitious, incestuous, cannibals. Today, we are probably called self-righteous, judgmental, hypocritical, intolerant bigots. And unfortunately, there are some members of the church that would verify that that is true. But that should not be the testimony yeah. Yeah. of us. Are you with me today? Yeah. We are called to show them yeah. what we believe by how we behave. So calling starts with knowing who we are. And then as a result, we are called to show them what we believe by what we, how we behave. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when He judges the world. Peter highlights many things in the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But I want to encourage you with a few things today of a life that we are called to live. Three things very quickly. The first one is this. We are called to live a life of honour, not obligation. Honour, not obligation. Again, verse 12, Peter says... They will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when He judges the world. This morning, we've been having a time of singing of which many people would call worship. Worship is beyond just singing. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is our being giving God His worth. Yeah. Worship equals worth And so everything we do should represent His worth. Whether we're at the dinner table, whether we're at church, whether we're at work, whether we're in the shopping mall, whether at school or university, we should bring in the worth of God into that environment. That's what Paul is saying. It's about honour, not obligation. And honour never is, sorry, is never dependent on our feelings. It's never dependent on our finances. It's never dependent on our family. And it's never dependent upon our friendships. Too many people use these as excuses as to why they can't give God honour. Honour is something beyond dependent on these things. Some of the hindrances to honour is that we are too busy. The number one reason people can't come to church is because they're too busy. But is it really honouring God that we are just too busy? to actually spend a moment of the week to take time to say, we worship You. We put You first. You have first place in our lives. Another hindrance is that we're too greedy, that we have no money to tithe, we have no money to be generous. Again, is that really honouring? I say this pretty much most weeks when it comes to our tithing, when it comes to our giving. Really the first and foremost reason we give Is not to receive money, it's actually to honour God. We realise everything we have comes from Him. And this is an opportunity to remind ourselves that it's God first. The money we have, we would not be able to give if it was not for God giving it to us in the first place. The air we breathe, the mind we have, the bodies we have, all the skills that we've been able to acquire... Yes, we may have done the hard work. Yes, we may have done the study. Yes, we may have done the preparation. But all of that was possible because of God. And so, when it comes to giving, it's not about money. It's not a money thing. It's an honor thing. When it comes to church, it's an honor thing. It's not an obligation. And if it's becoming an obligation, that's where we need to make the shift again. For others, it's just we're too selfish to care for and to help others. Our attendance, our generosity affects others. And when we understand what Peter is saying, it's about honour. And I trust there'll be a shift from obligation to honour in this time. What is honour? Honour is an attitude. It's an attitude of appreciation. It's an attitude that says, wow, I get to give. I get to worship. I get to serve. Not I have to. But I actually get to, and as a result, I want to. I'm a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a people belonging to God. And as a result, I want to honour Him. And so when it comes to Christmas time and this silly season, and it comes to our giving, let's not see our giving suffer because of greed, because of need, because of all those other things. But let's honour God first. If our bills are too high, if our homes, mortgages, it could suggest that maybe we bought into something that we actually couldn't afford in the first place. I believe when it comes to budgeting, we should always put God first. We honour Him first and then we set a budget accordingly. Why? Because anything less would be to not honour Him. Are you with me? Yeah. See, honour is about appreciation. Obligation is about expectation. No, I have to. It's expected of me. And that's not good motivation because it doesn't last. And so when it comes to church, tithing, serving, let's, let's shift our attitude from one of obligation to honour. Are you with me? Yeah. We're talking about a counterculture. This is not stuff you're going to hear everywhere. But it is something you're going to see in the Bible over and over and over again. Secondly, we call to live a life of freedom, not independence. Freedom, not independence. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, here it is, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil, but live as God's Slaves. The good news is Jesus has set us free. The bad news is we're not free to do whatever we want. Because there's a difference between freedom and independence. And Christian freedom is not independence. Christianity by nature is an act of surrender. It's us saying, not my will be done, but yours be done. Not my timeline, but your timeline. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. When I was sitting in hospital in 2016, not understanding why everything was happening to me and to us as a church and as a family, these are the thoughts I had. Why? But it was about shifting my thoughts to His thoughts. And my thoughts are not God's thoughts. My ways are not God's ways. My time is not God's time. And I found peace. Although I've got no answers to any of those questions because I shifted it from being about my thoughts to His thoughts. Because it shifted from being about my timeline to His timeline. Because it shifted about my way to His way. We're not always going to get the answers we want in this life. So we've got to shift our thinking. Freedom is not independence. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Which is the opposite of, I don't have to go to church. It's the opposite of, I don't have to give. People say, I I, I can say we're Christian and not go to church. I'm thinking, it just defeats the purpose of Christianity. Jesus died for the church. Jesus went to great lengths so that we could have this environment. Jesus went to great lengths so that we could be in this space and this place. Christianity is not about my will being done, it's about His will being done. One of the signs of Christian maturity is unity. What God is wanting for us is unity. One 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 of the signs that we as a church are on the right track is by seeing that we become more and more unified. Would that be fair to say? That being true, unity to happen requires a loss of independence. For any relationship to work, it requires the loss of independence from both parties. I think about a young couple getting married. Think of Macker and Taylor. For that to work they've both got to die to themselves. If you want to get married and have a healthy marriage and you want unity in the marriage, it's about surrendering your will to the other person's will. I'll say it again. For any relationship to work, it requires the loss of independence from both parties. Both parties must be willing to say you first. I will adjust for you. I will give up my freedom for you. I will sacrifice for you. You don't hear this in secular counseling when it comes to marriage. You hear, you deserve, it's your right. But Christianity is a counterculture. You want it to work, you've got to surrender. If only one party is willing to give up their freedom, it leads to exploitation. And that's what I love about Jesus is that He will never exploit you. Yeah. Yeah. He'll never exploit us. Yeah. The reason I know that is because Jesus gave up his freedom first. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is asking us to give up our freedom, yeah. but He gave up his freedom first. Yeah. Yeah. He walked on this planet for some 33 years. Most of the time, he was misunderstood. At the end of his life, he was abandoned, betrayed, let down, big time, disowned, mocked, stoned, beaten, battered, bruised, forced to carry his own cross, nailed to that cross. And there he hung and people threw insults at him. And the Bible indicates that he could have called legions of angels to come and rescue him and justify his cause. But he operates in a counterculture and he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the life that God is calling us to live. It's not one of independence, but it is one of freedom. And for us to walk in freedom, it means giving up our freedom. And we see Jesus doing that first. And He asks us to do the same for others. Giving up our freedom is where we find true freedom. You know, I make a joke about this in marriage. But for most guys, it seems to be a battle. And it's what I call the battle of the toilet seat. And it's one you'll see in young married couples. And the guy wants the toilet seat up, the woman wants the toilet seat down. But if the guy would understand, freedom is just putting the toilet seat down. The payoff, the reward, the freedom you'll experience through putting the seat down. Otherwise you'll be fighting for the rest of your life. And when we fight God on things like the toilet seat, we won't have the peace. We won't have the joy. We won't feel like we're in freedom. But when you surrender, you actually get freedom because you're not fighting Him. You're not fighting His ways. And so when I was in hospital in 2016, when I just surrendered, I don't know, and I probably never will know, I got freedom. I got no answers, but I got freedom because that's where freedom is found. It's found in surrender. It's found in giving up your rights and your independence and just saying, yes, your will be done. The reason we've called this series "Counterculture" is because this is not taught in too many other places other than the church. And thirdly, we're talking about a life that we're called to live by. And the third one is simply this. We're called to live a life of winning, not losing. I love this. Winning, not losing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse nine says, do not repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and He will grant you His blessing. Peter's advice when you're insulted is a few things. But the first thing we need to point out is, he says, when you're insulted, not if. He didn't say, if you follow me and do the right things, you won't be insulted. He says, well, no, that's not gonna happen. You can't avoid insults. You can't avoid being misunderstood. You are gonna face it. If you've ever faced it, that's because you're alive. And Peter says, when you face insults, we have a choice. And the choice is simply this. You can act like a winner or you can act like a loser. See, winning or losing Is not dependent on what happens to you. Winning and losing is a choice. That's why Peter says, Don't retaliate. You can, but you've got a choice. You don't have to. You can't say, Yeah, but I didn't have a choice. You had a choice. That's why he says, Don't retaliate. He also says, Don't repay evil for evil. Both of those speak of a choice. And winners make better choices than losers. Don't retaliate. Don't repay evil for evil. He could have said, don't get defensive. Winners get on the front foot. Have you ever heard it said, the best form of defence can be offence. And we've got to get on the front foot and not just on the back foot. I love the passage of Scripture that often gets misquoted, written by Paul from a jail cell. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he stayed in jail. It wasn't like, I can do all things and wham, he was just miraculously rescued. No, he stayed in jail. And he wrote most of his letters in jail because that's where he spent most of the latter part of his life. But the letters aren't a letter of a loser. They're letters of a winner. He was making the most of. He was getting on the front He said, well, if I'm going to be here, I might as well make it count. That's That's how winners think. Losers start getting defensive. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go and eat worms. I didn't get the promotion. I didn't get the invitation. I didn't get this. I didn't get that. But when you say, you know what? That's okay. We can make it work. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. See, I believe Christianity is not just about winning. It's learning to lose victoriously. Yeah. And if you can learn to lose victoriously, guess what? You'll win on every occasion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we see from Peter And that's what we see from Paul. And that's what we see from the early church. They didn't always win on every occasion, but they won on every occasion because of their attitude, because of their demeanour, because of the choices that they made, they chose to win. See, Peter was not gonna try to convince them to believe, but he was gonna show them what they believed by how they behaved. You know, often we try and convince people with more and more words instead of just showing them. You might ask the question of me, have I ever been insulted? Have I ever been misunderstood? As, have we as a church? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I remember a few years ago, we decided to do a, a men's ministry called The Bloke and some of the, some of the attention we got, the ungodly attention we got, some of the letters, some of the emails that came our way, Because how could we do such a thing? And we could have defended ourselves. We could have got on the attack and wrote emails back. We chose to ignore all of them and just keep on doing what we've been called to do. And here we are many, many years later. And as a result of that event and many other events and many other things that we've done since, We find ourselves still doing what God has called us to do with a glint in our eye, a smile on our face, a spring in our step, Bible in our hands, doing what God has called us to do. It's not about getting defensive. You don't have to win every round. You don't have to win every argument in order to be a winner. Let's get the band up here. That'd be awesome. Is that making sense today? In other words, Peter is saying, I'm not gonna tell you about my faith. I wanna live my faith. The last thing we want to do is just win an argument, but just display the same characters and the same characteristics, sorry, of those that we're trying to win the argument with. So let's be generous. Let's be righteous. Let's be loving. We are here to make a difference in the world. Peter reminds us that suffering is a part of following Jesus. And the reason we know that is because the founder of our faith Jesus Christ himself suffered. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 says Jesus never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. This counterculture series cannot be outworked unless we have a healthy foundation of who we are in Him. Peter calls us to a higher standard in his writings, but it's on the foundation of we are a chosen people, a forgiven people, a people belonging to God. And it's from that platform. I don't know about you. When I think about what Jesus did to set me free, I just want to serve Him. If we think about just how dire it was, how bad it was. See, the good news doesn't make any sense until you understand how bad it was. The only thing that makes the gospel good news is when you understand how bad it was. And because of Jesus, we get hope, we get life, we get eternity. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you are encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life, and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.